0: I'm Laura Vinroot Poole. For over 20 years, I've owned Capital, an internationally recognized specialty store in Charlotte, North Carolina. On this podcast, we unlock the stories of people's lives through the stories of what they wore. These aren't conversations about fashion, these are conversations about people.
1: Everybody wants to know.
0: is one of the fashion world's most respected journalists. I was honored to interview the woman who's often interviewed me. I hope you enjoy learning more about Booth and her point of view on what's happening in the fashion industry today. Booth Moore, I'm so glad to see you in California. Thanks for having me. This is so fun. (laughs) It's fun to be on the other side. (laughs) Well, and it's nice to be in California when it's 70 degrees and sunny and 40 degrees and rainy in Charlotte.
1: Indeed, yeah, (laughs) and it's Arctic freeze everywhere else. Especially where you're from, which I think you're from New York. I am, I grew up in New York City. And tell me about that, what's your first fashion memory? Oh, God, it was actually before New York, I, my parents are from Little Rock, Arkansas. And so that's where I was born and lived until I was four years old. And I was the type of kid who had a purse um, from I don't know, like, age, maybe like, you know, six months, (laughs) and always apparently had so much stuff in it that it was like, you know, clowns coming out of a Volkswagen. (laughs) And so I, I think, you know, fashion is something that you sort of have in your genes. And I think that that was a, a sign that uh, I wasn't gonna be able to let go of it.
0: Well, I've also read that you've described yourself as an Olympic level
1: shopper. <laughs> I have, yeah. I, I think that was a wonderful thing about growing up in New York City was there were still, uh, you know, many, many department stores around then. And so I have memories of going to Bergdorf, you know, Delman shoes and oh my sort gosh. of- Oh Victor Costa and oh my trying, on, <laughs> trying <laughs> on dance dresses and you know that kind of a thing. And and then even, you know, my parents had a real affinity for Neiman Marcus coming from the south. Yeah. So we would take uh trips on the weekend out to the Neiman Marcus in White Plains as a family and you know, shop for something for my mother or something or whatever and have have lunch and popovers and, and all that. So that's a that's a family memory.
0: And then you went down south to North Carolina for school
1: at Duke. I did. What was that Like, and did you have to change your wardrobe? Not really. I mean, Duke was full of New Yorkers by then, <laughs> honestly. And, uh, but I did, you know, I considered a lot of places to go to college, but I really wanted sort of the sense of fun of a Southern school and also the co ed experience because I went to uh, all through, you know, almost 13 years of a girls' school and, uh, you know, just kind of wanted something nor- normal with football games and, and all that. <laughs> Your first job out of college was at the Washington Post? It was, yeah. I had gotten involved in politics a bit before I graduated from Duke and was working for the Democratic National Committee and uh, just spent a, a semester and a couple summers in Washington. And so I had some friends there and really wanted to to move there, but also had an interest in journalism. And
0: Were, and you, were you a journalism major?
1: <laughs> I wasn't, no. Um, I was a history major. But, oh, wow. Um, yeah. But th- but then I, got, <clears throat> through a contact there, uh, got connected to someone, at the, this columnist at the Washington Post who always had assistants who worked with him on a yearly basis and, and got to sort of learn how to write some columns and, and do this and that. So that was a good year-long experience at the Washington Post. And what department were you writing with? Metro. It was a metro department. Yeah. And so, yeah, I was doing a lot of research for his columns, which focused on, you know, Washington life. And then I got to write some columns of my own around the holidays when he did a when when the Post did a big charity initiative to uh, help families in need. So so it was a, yeah it was a great experience. But I still had this like fashion nagging at me yeah. already. <laughs> and um, and I well wor-
0: especially in DC I'm sure because the fashion is so bad. There. Oh yeah, it
1: was, te- <laughs> it was terrible at that point, and it was you know it, it was kind of soul sucking. But um, <laughs> but I had already wa- worked an internship at a magazine magazine. magazine in New York called YM. And it wasn't the greatest experience. I didn't get to do a lot of writing. The editor I was working for took off a month and asked me to check every um, phone number in her Rolodex. Uh, It was just I was like, this is not the environment for me. So I knew that if I was going to do something in fashion, it was not necessarily going to be working at a magazine. So yeah, I, I was at the Post and I was kind of like, what am I going to do? And it was funny because Kathy Horn, who's you know the amazing, yeah. uh, was a uh, New York Times fashion critic for years and years. She was at the Post at the time and leaving to go to the New York Times. So there was actually this vacancy. Huh. And I was like all of, I don't know, 21 and a half years old. I was like, <laughs> I'm going to apply for that job. So I did, but yeah, I didn't even get an interview or anything. And the person they ended up hiring, uh, Robin Devon, yeah. is now one of my best friends. So, oh my God, that's yeah. so crazy! Yeah. And then so from the post to L.A.? No, I, I stopped in Vermont for a year and a half, which is where I met my husband. Arlington? Yeah, in, in Arlington, <laughs> Manchester. I went up there to get my stuff together and had, had always dreamed of moving to L.A. And, and really in large part because of my mother and her love of 70s rock and roll <laughs> and growing up on the Eagles and Linda Ronstadt and Fleetwood Mac and and all those memories and just kind of wanting to be in LA. So I went to Vermont to get my stuff together to move out and started writing freelance for the local newspaper called the Manchester Journal. And my husband was the editor, uh-huh. so my now husband. <laughs> <laughs> so we, um, we met and I ended up staying there for a year and covering everything from local school board meetings to, uh, snowboarding, uh, and, uh, yeah, everything. Not between. a lot of fashion. To write about, <laughs> Not sure a lot of Vermont. fashion. Although there were some good outlets there at the time um, in <laughs> okay. Manchester. Yeah, really but um, but yeah, it was it was more sort of really just getting all the basics of news reporting experience.
0: And then y'all both moved to California
1: together? Yes. A, and he... in a VW Rabbit. With, uh, no, seriously? Um, yes. With a lot of... I mean, what color? We, we sent some stuff. Um, Red. Uh-huh. And yeah, one of his favorite memories is that I had this like stupid earring tree, which was <laughs> like, a, you know, a wood thing that you affixed to the wall that had little hooks for all your earrings. And, you know, that was like the one thing that was on the top of all the mounds <laughs> of stuff. And every time we stopped, it somehow like slid out. and. Oh. (laughs) But it managed to make it to California. I think we still have it in the garage as some sort of like funny memory. Did y'all have jobs when you came here? Uh, No, we didn't. Um, Neither of you. Yeah, we had saved up some absurd amount, like $1,500 or something. And we had a really fun trip across country. And then some good friends who lived here, uh, who I'd visited and sort of found an apartment in West Hollywood, just off Sunset Boulevard, which seems to be um, a place that a lot of people live when they first moved. (laughs) LA, at least it was in the 90s. I had a connection at the LA Times through the Washington Post, which was promising. And um, my husband, you know, had a journalism degree and just, you know, was a funny, good writer. And so we hope for the best. He actually ended up being employed before I was (laughs) as a TV writer in a ridiculous twist of fate where we ended up working as extras for a game (laughs) show. And then, you know, my husband's very personable and he started chatting with the casting director uh, and they said, oh, we're looking for writers. (laughs) And he ended up getting hired on this game show, which was produced by DreamWorks. And he was working on the lot at NBC, like sort of within months of us arriving in L.A. Um, And we were still sharing the one... B. W. Rabbit, so I would drop him <laughs> off every day. At the airing
0: tree was out. Yeah, there. exactly at, at NBC.
1: <laughs> and
0: then and then both got to
1: the L. A. Times together. No, yeah. I was there for a long time before he was. He was in this game show writing um, business <laughs> for a little while, and then I eventually got to the L. A. Times. But I actually worked at this magazine called BOP first, which okay. is a teen fanzine, and you know would would cover people like the Backstreet. Boys, boys and Jonathan Taylor Thomas. And and my one choice memory from that was that I had the first interview with the Spice Girls. No. Um, Yeah. So, and so, and you interviewed them while they were here? While they were here, they had je- it was their oh, first trip to Los Angeles and they were like, you know, calling all the media to try to cover them, but they were really sort of out of nowhere. So I but went Bob to. But Bob really
0: wanted to cover them. Yeah.
1: We, we <laughs> went to, um, we went, you know, went to Santa Monica, wrote a story about them. And it's funny because it comes full circle because when I was at the LA Times and Victoria Beckham, you know, by then was a designer right. and on her own oh everything. And she and David moved to LA. I got the first story with her when she moved <laughs> to LA. And I had a picture of of myself <laughs> with all the Spice Girls that I brought with the with me to the interview as an icebreaker. And it was hysterical. Did it go well? It did go she well. She has a great sense of humor actually. Yeah. She's pretty funny. She is and she's um and she's she's very normal. Yeah. yeah. That was one of my favorite interviews because I met her and we met at like one office and then we went to the chateau for drinks. And she, you know, it's like she had the SUV downstairs that we were all piling into and she just kind of went head first into the way back of the SUV. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, this well, girl that's is cool. cool. Yeah. I mean, she's just didn't have any errors. And then when we got to the chateau. She ordered like the chicest thing I think I've ever. What? Heard, oh my God. Strawberries with balsamic what i know i know I, I like just like fresh strawberries with balsamic. balsamic vinegar yeah wow and it was delicious that must be a skinny girl <laughs> skinny girl dessert. Secret, exactly
0: <laughs> i met her she was trying on we were trying on her jeans and we were like, how, I don't think you can breathe in these jeans. And she said, darling, breathing is so overrated.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, she (laughs) is. She's a bird. She's hilarious and she's (laughs) incredibly disciplined. And so from Bob, how did you shift to fashion? Well, I had interviewed at the LA times and I was just waiting, waiting, waiting. And and for a spot to open for any spot. I, you know, my, one of my philosophies about work has always been sort of find where you want to be and try to get your foot in the door. Totally uh, agree with that. However you can. And so they had a part-time job open in the calendar section, which is the arts and entertainment section. I was like, well, you know, if oh. I can get that, then – I can maybe do other things there. So it took them, I you know, six to eight months to finally hire me for that. And then once they did, I started freelancing fashion stories for the fashion editor there. And Did you know from the very beginning that that was what you were working towards? Strangely enough, growing up in New York, I wasn't really aware of the fashion coverage in women's The wear Times, for earth. example, or women's wear, really. I mean, it's funny because I think fashion as an industry has changed a lot and I, I wrote this book called American Runway, and it it talks about sort of what changed in terms of runway shows and in terms of pop culture to make fashion sort of a more universally known about thing. And I think a lot of that happened in the you know late '90s and 2000s. So when I was growing up, yeah, I wasn't really aware of fashion criticism, but I pretty soon realized that I wanted to write about fashion seriously, and I didn't want to be I didn't want to be dictated to from advertising standpoint about what I could and couldn't write. And I wanted to try to write about it in a bigger picture way and how it relates to the world around us. And that really the only place to do that was going to be a newspaper. So.
0: And and other than why I'm like never had an interest in, in magazines always in that also was that because of knowing Kathy and knowing Robin and seeing how it could be done. Because I think it's almost like you have to see people that are, not doing what you want to do, but opening that part of your brain to see that that's even possible, like yeah. expanders, you yeah. know? Yeah,
1: yeah, definitely. I think it's because of that, and it's also because of the fashion editor at the LA Times, um, Mimi Evans, who started giving me freelance opportunities and yeah just this this ability to kind of explore journalism but also write about fashion was was what I wanted to do. And did you love it from the first minute you did it? Yeah, I mean the first story I ever did for the LA Times was about Stevie Nicks style. Oh my god. So for you know <laughs> coming from my mother absolutely loving her and 70s and 60s rock and then getting that opportunity that was amazing and then and I went to my husband and I went to the Fleetwood Mac concert at uh, the Hollywood Bowl like a day or two after the story came out and oh. somebody behind us was talking about the story no. which was like a dream come true oh. so that was a, a great way to start and amazing um, yeah and and I think you know obviously there've been a lot of changes in the way fashion's covered changes in journalism in general in the last uh, you know 20 odd years that I've been doing it. So, you know, it's been sort of a lot to adjust to. But still, I think when it when fashion collides with, uh, you know, politics or uh, music or, you know, anything, art that those are the most exciting stories for me to write.
0: You went on to work for 17 years for the LA Times and have been called one of the most one of fashion's most um, most respected journalists. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. What what was your most meaningful moment there, time there and how did you know
1: it was time to leave? There were a lot of meaningful moments. A couple of stories stories I did with Tom Ford were really meaningful because he brought a lot of respect to fashion in los angeles by you know eventually Mm -hmm. ending up here and i think that's really kind of the through line of everything that i've been that i've been trying to do in my career is just to sort of bring respect to what happens out here And, and and that's been interesting to watch is just sort of the the opinion people have of Los Angeles and how that's changed, and even how the culture in the city has changed. But you know, I mean, I was covering Fashion Week here when it was like in back alleys, and you know, <laughs> and like you know, weird shows and and whatever. And you know, then also when you know, Dior came to have their Cruise Collection in Calabasas. So yeah. I think it's it's been a, a wide. Span of things, but it did take a while. I mean, when I first started covering the shows in Europe, I had I got in screaming matches with a couple of publicists who, you know, didn't want to give seats to the LA Times at shows. And it was, you know, I had to sort of fight that battle for for respect. And then, you know, sure enough, like a couple of years after that battle, the designer in question would be opening a store in Los Angeles, yeah, right. you know? So, <laughs> so yeah, it's been interesting to see that evolution and to kind of hopefully have been a bit of a part of it. How
0: did you know it was time to leave? And were you afraid to leave? Um, People don't talk about transition I a lot. was afraid
1: to leave. Uh, I, I guess I was. I, I, I mean, the thing that's, that was sad about the LA Times is it sort of went through such a roller coaster of owners and mismanagement and at a very crucial time in newspaper history because, you know, I, I believe it sort of because of the different owners and all of the, you know, tumult, like it sort of lost some years in, in modernizing and now is kind of having to play catch up a bit and you know certainly has a new local owner now which seems to be very positive but for me it was just like death by a thousand cuts i mean we had Launched the image section, and you know, was real. I was really proud of that. I was the first editor of the image section, and you know, our first issue I had Chloe Sevigny on the cover, and you know, again, we had Victoria Beckham. We had an amazing, you know, really robust coverage. I think of the fashion scene here, and then you know, almost, I think, six months after the section had launched. And, you know, it had been a financial success, they started uh, laying people off. So to, you know, to have hired this entire staff of Mm -hmm. amazing people, and then to sort of see them all picked off, and then, you know, ended up being, you know, one of two people left at the end, that was really hard. And then, you know, when they said, we're you know, we don't, want to send you to the shows anymore I was kind of like well what's the point what's the point yeah Yeah. I mean that's like something that's I mean fundamental yeah we can debate like (laughs) the future of fashion shows and and whether they're necessary and and whatnot but yeah that it's kind of like if you don't go to the show you're not in it so So I had a really good, uh, you know, opportunity to take a package to be paid for a year and leave. And so I did. And it was actually a good thing because it gave me the opportunity to do some books and some freelance writing. And then eventually to get another job where I learned a lot of new skills. In the, that year, did you write the two books? I had started the Juicy Couture book um, before or three I left. books you've written. I, yeah, the Juicy Couture book before I, it came out before I left. But the shopping book and an American Runway I wrote back to back in that year. And I, I finished American Runway actually when I after I started my job at the Hollywood Reporter, but.
0: Was that a completely different way of writing?
1: The three books were very different. The Juicy Couture book was a business biography with Pam and Gila about how they built Juicy into a $200 million business. Oh, my God. And, you know, they are hilarious people. (laughs) They, you know, are are best friends. They have a million stories. So a lot of that was kind of about corralling them into (laughs) a place where we could kind of focus and then taking all of their thoughts and putting it into. To something that was like easy to digest and had some service. Uh Service element to it. It was it was a lot of fun. It was you know I think it was well received. They ended up going on and s- selling it to a production company. So you know it, it could someday be a TV show. But yeah, who knows. <laughs> <laughs> the shopping you, 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 you want them to play themselves because they're so hilarious. Oh guys. I know <laughs> it's like who else could do it? Um, the shopping book was was really like leaning on all of my connections through the years and asking people where they love to shop and it was fun. You know honestly I wish I could have like gone. To all the places that they mentioned i wish i could have <laughs> you know yeah I, I i feel like that was one sort of bummer and then the in the american runway book I made mean, it really sort of i think brought together a lot of my experience particularly since it it, it focused on how the runway has changed in the last you know, few years, what I just referenced, um, and become part of pop culture, and also become a lot more tied to entertainment. So as an LA person writing it, I felt like I had an interesting vantage point.
0: Can you tell me your three favorite stores in the world? Well, yours, of course. <laughs> no, 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 no. 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 I mean, I th- I, I'm a shopper. You know, like I really, I love great retail and yeah. it's sort of hard to
1: find. Yeah. So I'd love to know what your faves are. No, definitely. I mean, I, I think that there's there's probably one in every city. I mean, and sometimes they're like the more random or whatever, the better. I mean, In L.A., honestly, there's this boutique called Govindas, which is um, above the Hare Krishna Temple in Culver City, which has, you know, every sort of Indian garment you'd ever want from saris to caftans to, you know, tunics, which is really fun and and very, you know, yeah, uh, kind of only in L.A. or India, maybe. But, (laughs) um, you know, and, and then... What about in Paris? In Paris, I mean, the I, Yes, I can't. Me too. Yeah, it's too Unbeatable. good. Unbeatable. Although I, I actually liked it more pre-renovations. I, I have this thing about all these department stores renovating, but maybe it's just because I'm nostalgic. But And then the Dries Van Noten store. I was going to say the same thing. Yeah, is incredible. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, another sort of Indian place called Simran is. Oh, I love the Simran. 6. Yeah, Aww. that's really fun to go to. So yeah. And then (laughs) I'm trying to think where else London. I love going to Liberty um, just because it's so old school. And then there's a, I try not to do fast fashion that much, but there's one that H&M has now called Arket, which is A-R-K-E-T, which is on Regent Street. And really has like sort of the Celine vibes going. And huh. they also have them in, in, I think in Sweden, but yeah, it's, it's the, I can't, I haven't found an arcade. I don't think there are any others in Europe yet. Just so, in or, London. or in That they're in Paris yet or Italy. So. All right. I'm yeah. going to look it up. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so then, so Hollywood reporter and then uh West coast editor for women's wear daily. Yeah. I mean, had you always been a fan
1: of women's wear? You, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it is it's sort of the Bible. Yeah, yeah, it is, isn't it? The Bible. Um, And, you know, it's funny because I had read John Fairchild's Chic Savages <laughs> a number of years ago. And then when I got this job, I reread it. And I do think that he had such a spirit and a sense of humor about covering the industry that I really admire and sort of try to keep in mind when I'm writing just yeah the hilarity that uh, of it all yeah so so you know i mean i it, it's been a great experience and, and hollywood reporter was was difficult place to work but um <laughs> it was a great experience because it i got a lot of digital yeah digital experience from that i ran our our style vertical and also really admire as as an organization there ability to jump on news in like a second's notice and yeah. turn around a story and and all that and, and and a memory i have of of doing you know i i was writing there for the, you know, through the, the Trump election and the, the first few months after that. And I remember writing about, uh, and this is another thing that I learned has become, you know, such a phenomenon that I learned at The Hollywood Reporter is writing about social media. And uh, <laughs> Ivanka Trump had posted a picture of herself at going to a, a gala at, at, on the same day that a her, her father was talking about a uh, controversial policy about refugees and she had this like tinfoil dress on and it was silver metallic rather and a lot (laughs) of people were were comparing it on social media to the tinfoil capes or coverings that are sadly given to refugees and you know so so that kind of thing I mean yes it's a gotcha moment but you know that that kind of has become part of fashion reporting too. is kind of looking at how people are reacting to images online and 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 it can become a scandal. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Melania's famous coat.
1: Exactly. Oh my God. Yeah.
0: Will you talk a little bit about the state of fashion and um, maybe start with Barney's? (laughs) Like (laughs) how did
1: we get here? So sad. Barney's. So, I mean, again, I, I feel like <laughs> there is this. These stores think that they need to do all these renovations and,
0: like, what you know, does a renovation do? Yeah, I don't understand. Yeah, I don't, especially
1: know. that one. I know. I I'm not sure that that was a wise <laughs> use of funds, but you know, I mean, there's it's. If you look at the statistics, I mean, obviously, you know, people are shopping a lot more online. You have to give them a reason to come into the store. You have to create an experience. A community is, I think, even more important. And I think that, you know, we're sort of seeing like a changing of the guard. I'm not necessarily sure we're seeing, you know, it's going to be like the end of brick and mortar retail. I just think it's like, you know, people are now embracing and believing in new brands. I mean, I think it's interesting to look at Gap and Everlane, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, both companies from the Bay Area, uh, both sort of in the basics business, Everlane, a, a bit more expensive and, you know, dedicated since day one to you know their definition of transparency as far as just de- you know giving shoppers a look into the factories where they make their uh, where they make things and also trying to incorporate sustainable materials as much as possible you know started off as a direct consumer brand and obviously created a loyal community mm-hmm. online you know now they're opening brick and mortar stores yeah and i mean i think it's conceivable that Everlane could be just like Gap in twenty years sure. as far as the number of stores, but you know it has the thing is is it has different values than Gap, and as much as Gap now is trying to you know tell a sustainable story and sort of you know do their own thing with that i mean that that hasn't been their story since day one, so I think it's you know it's more it, less a matter of like this is you know end times for retail than just a matter of like there is a times. reinvention yeah, yeah and a changing of the guard and what about runway shows and sort of that whole, <laughs> since I you know. read a book on it? The runway shows, it's like, you can't hardly believe they're still going on. I know. They are just so, yeah, wasteful <laughs> and inefficient and yeah. <laughs> and just like the amount of time. I mean, I'm away from home for two months a year. Yeah. So. I know. You know, it. yeah, you know, it's it's just, it's absurd, really. And especially in this day and age where like time is really the biggest luxury. And, you know, these shows are ostensibly created for media, which, you know, has is imploding. So how many of these how many people media are there to even go to the shows? That being said, it's, you know, there's there's nothing like a fashion show. There's nothing like see it's 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 really hard to make any kind of judgment about clothes if you can't see them in person at least yeah. as the technology exists now you know and I think that more and more at our C- at the WWD CEO summit a couple of weeks ago we had Kirby John Raymond speak from the brand Pyre Moss and he said, you know fashion the business of selling product in fashion is over. Hmm. It's all about selling experiences and selling and, and tribalism he said. Hmm. And and I think that's really true and that these live events do create communities and tribes and excitement for brands. I'm not sure that they need to be on a fashion week schedule. <laughs> uh, the way that they have been, I mean certainly, if you look at the success of what Kanye's been doing with Sunday services, for example, um you know that has nothing to do with fashion Week, and I think a lot of <laughs> a lot of designers are also realizing that You know, especially young designers, they're selling merch off their experiences almost more than they're selling actual clothes. I mean, Kirby John Raymond said that for his last Pierre Moss show, he sold more in merch than the actual collection. That's Um, well. I mean, same with recording artists. I mean, that's it's not even about concerts;
0: it's about selling merch around the concerts. That is so weird.
1: Yeah, I know. (laughs) So I feel like you know, fashion events are not going to go away, or fashion shows, but I feel like. Sort of the expected format is not as interesting to people anymore. And, you know, sadly, you can kind of see it from online engagement and numbers of fashion mm. shows. I mean, people just aren't reading about them or looking at them as much anymore unless there's an added element. For example, the last New York Fashion Week, I believe it was Ralph Lauren's show that got the most hits and engagement because he had Janelle Monet perform. Yeah. And he created this whole like Ralph's Club. Um, yeah you know, environment. So, you know, I, I think that, again, it, it really makes it hard for young designers who are kind of trying to, to compete on uh, in the, in that exact same way during that time frame of, of, of a fashion week. Hmm. Interesting.
0: We, I, in our store too, I've never had more interest in trunk shows in my whole career. Yeah. And we have
1: probably two a week and people just they go nuts. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think that there's, I mean, there's some des- LA designers, I know that that's the only way they sell. Right. Is they kind of go around the country and they have small events. And again, that speaks to this need for community and this need for kind of a, a personal experience with a designer. Right. that I think, yeah, the best stores are kind of getting into being able to be a platform for that.
0: It sounds like wisdom and patience and resilience have been some of your most, um, your strongest qualities. Wh- which one do you think has served you best, and wh- what's gotten you through all of through
1: your career? I guess. Yeah, I don't think my husband would agree that I'm patient. <laughs> I, <laughs> I tend to kind of lose my temper sometimes, but I think that. Just maybe resilience. I think that just sort of feeling like you belong in the room and that you deserve the same treatment as everyone else or you deserve an answer or you deserve a front row seat or whatever it is, I think is an important quality in fashion because there's so many forces that are trying to kind of hold you down and and whatever. And it's funny because I think when I was young, I was really... I was kind of like uh, maybe a bit delusional about uh, myself. I mean, I remember sort of the first times going to the fashion shows and there would be like empty front row seats. And I'd be like, well, I'm just going to sit there. No one's sitting there, you know? <laughs> and like sometimes they would come and it would be embarrassing or whatever. But, you know, I mean, I think that, you know, some of that is is maybe silly or presumptuous, but some of it's good, you know, because yeah. it's kind of like – you can't be intimidated and you have to sort of have always have, have ambition that you're going to be the best or that you're trying to be the best um, because, yeah, I mean, it, you you have to sort of convince people and prove yourself along the way. I also think it sounds
0: like you really knew what you wanted. And I don't think I think most people don't really know what they want, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, for me, I'm not sure I was like, I, I, I'm not sure I knew exactly what I wanted. Like I want to be the first fashion critic at the LA times. I just wanted to be good at what I do. And I think, you know, it's like, for me, if you're not, if it's, if you're not going to do something, well, it's just, it's not really worth doing, you know, that's, I think just kind of having always that, sort of striver, ambition type thing maybe has served me well, but maybe, I don't know. It served me well career-wise, but, you know, <laughs> who knows, like happiness-wise. What does
0: success look like for you now?
1: Hmm, That's so funny. It's, like, you,
0: it's Because a, you look successful.
1: Oh, thank you. <laughs> Do no, you feel successful? <laughs> not really. And I feel, you know, that's like, you know, question for the um, psychiatrist couch. But um, I I feel like... I don't know. I I feel like it's success for me is just kind of like one story after the next. I mean, it's it's kind of like, okay, I'll reread that and you know what, that was that was actually that was good. I did a good job. Or, you know, or even success could be I had a really tough time with this you know, fashion week or, you know, some things that discouraged me, but I made it through. And you know, I didn't cry. What's your tolerance for risk? I don't really have I I don't have much. I wish I had way more. um, Because then I would be an entrepreneur or I'd (laughs) own my own fashion store like you do. Don't do it. (laughs) Or something. Yeah. I mean, I'm constantly amazed, you know, years after like of all the people I've written about who've started their own things. And I wish I had that, that, you know, tolerance for risk and just, that everything was going to be okay, but I don't. Yeah. It's funny. I remember I was the, the first person to write about Tom's shoes and Blake Mycoskie who founded it. And, you know, it's like, he called me and he's like, I have these little like, you know, espadrilles that I, you know, and, and you just think like, really, you know, it's, you know, but Charlize (laughs) Theron was wearing them and, you know, and sure enough, he created this huge empire, but I mean, just, To me, to have the confidence in yourself that you're going to actually create the next great t-shirt line, like, (laughs) I wish I had that. Like, you know, what are the odds that you're really going to create the next great t-shirt line? But, you know, people do it day after day and kudos to them. Um, You know, I'll I'll be happy to write about it. But sadly, yeah, I I don't have the courage to do it. (laughs) I think you've had a really interesting seat to watch
0: actually all this whole fashion change over the last 30 years? Yeah. 30? Yeah. Uh, Well, maybe 25. 25. Yeah, Yeah, I I am older.
1: But it has, it's so completely different, isn't it, from when you started? Yeah, it's very entrepreneurial. Yeah, it's, I feel like we're, we are living in sort of this, this really entrepreneurial day, age, which is exciting. And young people are starting things all the time. And, you know, and then they also don't feel like they get, I feel like they don't think they're going to be, locked into something forever which is very different since i feel like i've sort of you know more or less been doing the same thing for 25 (laughs) years so doing it well oh thank you (laughs) how do you think la fashion is viewed now i mean i it's like we can't stop new yorkers from moving out here exactly it's it's an (laughs) influx but it's it's a great place to be because I feel like in fashion right now, everything's really converging. Um, entertainment, technology, music, art, and L.A. has all of those industries. And sunshine. And sunshine. We ask
0: everybody in the podcast what they wore to prom. Did Chapin have a prom?
1: Chapin didn't have a prom. <laughs> no, I know. And it, it's funny because in subsequent years afterward, they... They did and and whatever, but but yeah, we we had various dances that were in our school things and do you, do you have probably a, favorite? a Victor Costa. <laughs> yeah, I was all about what like, color strapless? It was no, it was a like a hot pink fuchsia, which is still my favorite Love. color. Mini dress with short sleeves that was like off the shoulder. And you know, like a like a column, and then it had rhinestone buttons up up the uh, front. Which, yeah, would that I still had that dress, or could fit into love. it? I would, yeah.
0: I, Victor Costa good. was the man. I know. I mean, basically, he. <laughs> I you think know, we must be the same age. He was
1: kind of a bit of a copyist, I think people might say, but um, but you know, it wasn't like I was going to be wearing Oscar de la Renta,
0: <laughs> right? Exactly.
1: <laughs> so anyway. thank you so much, Booth.
0: Love, loved you, having you. This was really fun. Thanks, Thanks. for having me. What We Wore is produced by Capital and Balto Creative Media. The original song, Someone So Enchanting, was composed and performed by Brit Drazda.